Welcome to Voices of Clarity. Together we will learn about kids and mental health from experts within the field. Let's get started. The topic we are going to discuss today is screening tools and warning signs of children's mental illness. My name is Gerard Mijot. I'm with the Clarity Child Guidance Center, and we look forward to an engaging conversation with our speaker, Dr. Jeff Gentry. For those who are not familiar with our organization, Clarity Child Guidance Center is a nonprofit treatment center solely dedicated to helping children three to 17 with their mental health. Clarity is located in the San Antonio Medical Center and provides inpatient and outpatient services to several thousand children every year. You can read more about the center, of course, at our website, claritycgc.org. Of course, this event is purely educational and it's by no means an attempt to provide counseling online. Now, we've experienced a few bandwidth issues this morning, so we will just work through these little technical issues that uh, can happen these days because of uh, all the activity online. Dr. Jeff Gentry is actually Clarity's Senior Vice President of Clinical Services, and as such, he oversees the Center of Psychological Programs and the Clinical Training Programs, provides clinical supervision, as well as individual and family therapy. Dr. Gentry also serves as an adjunct, adjunct assistant professor in the psychiatry department at UT Health San Antonio, where he teaches psychiatry and psychology residents and fellows. Dr. Gentry is a dad, and I've known him for the past 10 years. He's been at Clarity for over 25 years now, but I especially know his passion in two areas. First, making sure that children are understood, our patients are understood, and, and we can go to the root cause of the issues, why they're experiencing what they're experiencing. And the second area is integrating the fa family dynamic in the process of helping young patients. So it's an honor to have his time this morning. Dr. Gentry, welcome. Thank you very much, Gerard. Great to be here. So our first question is that one of the most read article on our website, One in Five, one in five Minds, is called Seven Free Screening Tools for Children's Mental Health Concerns. Why do you think there is such an interest from parents in screening their children for mental health? Well, I think it's a couple of reasons. One is because our kids are so important to us and they're their well-being is so important to us. Um, but at the same time, most of us don't have a lot of background about specific mental health issues and, um, and understanding that way. And because we don't want to miss something that could have helped our, our kids. Um, one of the things that I've heard many times in my time here in working with families uh, is parents saying, I wish we had done this sooner. Um, so I encourage people to, if you have a concern, to take the step, take the first step. Absolutely. And, and as you said, this is, this is something that we're very concerned about as parents. And, and the signs are not always as easy, easy to read, right? It's not just like, okay, you got a cut or you got a, a cold. Um, sometimes it can even be tempting to, to diagnose too quick, for example. Now, can you tell us? For example, you know, we want to start talking a little bit about warning signs and, and helping us get some better idea of what those signs can be. Let's take an example. How can you tell the difference between depression signs or sadness in a child? Well, um, the 
kind of the de defining, one of the defining features of diagnosis in mental health is that the child's ability to function is some way impaired. And <clears throat> this usually implies a change um, in some area from how the child was doing before. And like in depression, we think in terms of behavior, mood, and thinking. So examples of behavior could be um, child becoming withdrawn, maybe isolating more, engaging people less. Mood has to do with um, how up or down they seem to be. And then kids, a lot of times mood problems are expressed as irritability. So um, whereas for adults, depression is expressed more as a low mood, low energy, for, for young kids, it can be expressed as irritability and crankiness. Mm. Um, and then there's also thinking, um, negativistic kinds of thinking, pessimistic thinking um, can also be an indication of uh, some kind of a mood problem. Sadness, on the other hand, to me is something that's more natural. It's kind of like the idea of bereavement after the loss of an important person in your life. It makes sense to be sad. Right. And we want people to be able to experience that in a way that's helpful to them. Um, but we also know that it, it has a timeline and it's not a permanent thing, right? But um, so sadness is, is something that is uh, more transient and um, can be, you know, distraction sometimes can uh, help with sadness, that sort of thing. Whereas depression is, is considered more long-term. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's really interesting. It's, it's, and especially I like the, the fact that, you know, our way of thinking of depression as adults, right, with below mood can, is, is, can be a filter that, you know, makes us miss what could be really happening because the child is actually responding and has a behavior of, of irritability. So that's really important to, to, to have a good understanding of those signs. Now, a lot, there's a lot of anxiety uh, these days because of, of COVID among families and children. But then there are the other, you know, the other possibilities, fear. So again, how would we differentiate fear versus anxiety? How, what are some of the signs of more clinical anxiety versus natural anxiety, if you could say that? Well, one thing I just want to comment on before moving to that question is yeah. in, in our professional work doing consultation or assessment, and one of the things we're trying to figure out is differentiating between internal factors and external factors. So internal, uh, you know, what is, what's not working or what is, um, what's causing problems and to what extent is that internal, something about the child, something inherent to them that they carry with them from, you know, they've always had with them, um, you know, some some people have a pessimistic orientation. Some people have a more optimistic orientation. Mm -hmm. So, and that's not something that changes when the kids at school versus when they're with their friends versus you know, other situations. Um, and then there's the external factors, like right now on the large scale we have COVID, and then there's all kinds of. So I think of kind of a bullseye within the center ring is the child. The next ring is the family. The next ring is a school, and then the outer ring is a community, and um, 
different parts of the community that the child may be uh, engaged with. And one of the things that we, we know is that the more adults in those rings that are supportive and available to a child, the better we expect their adjustment to be. So in doing assessment, we're not just looking at the kid. Hmm. We're also looking at those different layers and to what extent are they providing support versus uh, creating stress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you have a kid who's living in, in a car with their family, we expect them to um, display some adjustment problems, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so in terms of uh, fear and anxiety, um, I, I think of it similar to what, what you said. I think of of fear as being connected to some external factor. Um, and that could be fear that we're gonna lose our, our house or something due to COVID because mom and dad are not working, not making an income. Um, and in that case, fear would be reality-based. And um, the idea would be to, how to provide uh, comfort and support for that. Um, whereas anxiety, Anxiety is, you know, something that we all experience at different times, different levels. Um, but when we think of it in terms of adjustment problems for a kid, we're thinking about um, having a tendency to over amplify um, things that are going on. And, and, and there's there are different kinds of anxiety diagnostically. Um, for example, there's um, generalized anxiety, which is a kid who's a worrier. They're just a worrier, you know, and that could be they have a parent who's a worrier, you know, um, but it there's just um, sort of an absent sense of comfort and calm and uh, kind of looking out for what's on the horizon that's going to happen. Um, and then there are specific anxieties, which are about specific things. Um, social phobia is one. Um, the biggest one is fear of public speaking. Most of us have anxiety about public speaking right now. I'm wringing my hands. You just can't see it. Um, but uh, so external versus internal is really big. Uh, and then those rings of child, family, school, community, I think factor into how we think about assessment. Well, it's actually, this is a good transition. And we could come back to some of the warning signs, but now, and, and I want to encourage people, by the way, remind people, if you have questions regarding this topic, uh, please put them in the, in the chat box. But when we think about assessment, okay, uh, they're really not just one kind of assessment. So could you give us a little introduction about kind of the general philosophy about assessment and when should parents come into an assessment and where are the different types of assessment? How do we navigate that? Okay. Um, well, I'm a psychologist, so I'm most familiar with uh, psychology assessment. And we use um, standardized tools like um, IQ tests, personality tests, um, and tests of, of development that focus on social and emotional development for things like autism. Um, but we use, we use tests that are standardized. And there's, standardized has three parts to it. The first is standardized tests are based on large samples so that we have, we can make a comparison of this kid, their performance on say an IQ test or a spelling test or um, whatever kind of test, we can compare them to a very large sample. 
and see where they fit in there. So if you think of a continuum of zero to 100, 50 is average, that's an adjusted number. If 50 is average and a kid scores a, a 65 on an IQ test, that says that statistically they are above the average of this larger group. Right. So that, that's very helpful for kind of placing a kid's abilities or skills. Um, <clears throat> That also means that the scores are standardized. Like I was just saying, um, a lot of tests convert their result to, to this standard score where 50 is average and, um, well, 100 is average, for example, on an IQ test. And if you're at 75, that's statistically below average and, and 115 is statistically above. So that gives us a way of really knowing where a kid fits compared to a larger sample. And the other thing about the tests that psychologists use is they have to demonstrate reliability and validity. And reliability just means when you're measuring something, you're gonna get the same measurement or close to it every time you do it. It's not gonna one time give you 100 and the next time give you an 80 and the next time give you 120, it's gonna be reliable. And then the validity part just means that it's measuring what it claims to measure. And, and tests have to demonstrate that before they're distributed, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, school psychologists tend to focus on academics um, and psychiatrists tend to focus, um, whereas psychologists are using a, 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 a battery of, of standardized tests, psychiatrists tend to use clinical diagnostic interviews that means they focus very heavily on um, an interview and history. And so they're looking at things like mental status. That includes um, a kid's estimated intelligence based on their vocabulary and the complexity of their concepts. They're also looking at their thinking. Is their thinking organized? Is it goal-directed? Is it coherent? Or is it circumstantial when it wanders all around? Or is it tangential? Those kind of things. So psychiatrists, is, the psychiatrists uh, will sometimes use rating scales to assist with their diagnoses, but they're very they're focused on diagnoses. Um, here at Clarity, what we do with our psychology, we're focused on two things. One is sort of the development, the intellectual functioning, social, emotional, but then we're also focused on family, school, and community, and what's their contribution to whatever the concerns are. So that's a big part of it because we're prepared to intervene at the family level if needed. You were gonna ask something? So yeah, no, so you are saying is that, I think that's really important, that is basically we're looking at two sides. One side is how, how able is the child in terms of normal functioning, intellectual functioning, relationships, making friends, communicating their wants and needs. And then there is the, the how is it functioning in the family and in the, in the school and, and what does that look like, right? It's yes, and, and one of the an example of that is in a standard IQ test. There's a verbal intelligence component. There's a visual spatial. So verbal is how does a kid do solving problems with words, right? And then visual spatial is how do they do solving problems that don't involve uh, talking or words. But then there's a, two other components. One is working memory, and the other is processing speed. And those don't; those are hard to assess in an interview. Okay, so there's a lot of kids who have kind of normal range IQ, but their processing speed is slow. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And people can't really see that. And um, people in an academic setting can get frustrated with a kid who looks intelligent, sounds intelligent, but their processing speed is slow or their working memory is not up to the same level. So you have a kid whose verbal and visual spatial IQ are here, and then their uh, perform their processing speeds down here, you cannot see that. And it impacts, it, it can look like a kid is just taking too much time. They need to speed up. Well, they can't speed up if their processing speed is slow. So that's that's one reason for standardized testing. And sometimes you can pick up on that in an interview. Something's not right here. I hear the kid's words and they're he's smart, but he takes a while to get around to responding to a question or describing the situation that kind of thing. But then you see thinking about uh, I don't know if it's ADHD, but it's it's it seems like you know an ADHD child, for example, could be very smart, but failing at school, right? right. Because he's not he doesn't have some of the skills or the 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 internal capacity to to follow the program just like the school setup is set up for him. Right. And um, Gerard, I want to be sure that we leave just a little bit of time to talk about the consultation idea that we discussed yes, yesterday. Yes, right. Yeah, I think that, so. That that is, and we talked about that. Uh, it is how do you, you know, you, you your parent and then the school says, okay, you need to get an ass- a psychological assessment. So what what do you do? What what's your what do we say to these parents? Well, the main thing is I recommend to parents don't ever go get a therapist. Don't ever go get a psychological evaluation. Don't ever go get a psychiatric evaluation. Go get a consultation. So go see a professional, but tell them you you're looking for a consultation about your kid. Um, for two reasons. One is what you think your kid needs might not be what they need. And, and we see that a lot where parents ask for a psychological evaluation. We do a clinical diagnostic interview and we make completely different recommendations. So that's a result of a consultation. I'm having a tooth problem right now, right here. I'm not going to go tell the dentist what I need. I'm going to go seek a consultation and listen for what's recommended. If it makes sense to me, then I'll follow through. If it doesn't make sense to me, then I'll go see someone else for a consultation. And I think that's the thing to do. I recommend, like with therapy, the reason that's so important is like with psychotherapy, there's a lot of research that shows that the best predictor of of a good outcome is the chemistry between the person receiving therapy and the person giving therapy. It's not the training of the person that's given of the professional. It's not their, their method or technique. It's how well that fits for the person. And so I tell people, go get a consultation, tell your story, listen for feedback and recommendations. If they make sense, follow through. If they don't make sense, say thank you very much, and then get some help to find another consultation. So a consultation, you know, explain to us, and, and maybe if you don't say a few words about the way we do consultation at Clarity in terms of the, the first step program. Can you describe that a little bit? Yeah, the first step is is a just it's basically a clinical diagnostic interview a consultation with a psychologist or a psychology trainee and we started doing this maybe three years ago because we were seeing kids who had been on a wait list for psychological testing who waited two months or three months and we got we finally got them in front of us and we realized quickly that's not what they need next and so that time was wasted so we do a first step we do an interview with the child 
what we we interview the family, then we see the child, then we see the parents or some version of that. And then we our goal is to make quality uh, recommendations for what is needed. That's we call it first step because it's first step toward going that direction. And we one thing we do with that is we get a rating from the parent at the beginning, how confident they are that they know what services their kid needs. We, zero to three. Zero, I have no idea. Three, I know exactly. And we followed 258 consecutive cases and looked at the ratings. And at the beginning, 40% said zero. They had no idea. They had somehow been urged to come see somebody and they were in our office and saying, I have, my child needs something, but I don't know what it is. Right. So we think it's, it's perfectly fine. Just go talk to someone who's qualified. And psychologists, because they're trained in, in clinical interviewing, plus they have a testing mindset that thinks in terms of these uh, continuum, that's, you know, I am biased, but that's what I would do with my own kids. Well, I think it's very important there to, to really understand that difference, right? The consultation is just more general. Testing is more involved. It's costly. You may wait a longer time to get tested. So uh, it, it's very two different tracks. And 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 so again, uh, for parents who are listening here too, is is if you've been told, oh, you need to do some testing, doesn't mean that you should start there, right? It's it start with the consultation. Yeah, I saw a kid last week that. Um, she needs a sleep consultation. Her sleep is terrible and her academic performance is being impacted by her sleep problems. Right. And so before we do the academic testing, let's see if we can improve her sleep and if that has an impact on her academic test or her academic performance. Right. Now, I think that's a, that's a, I think the, the, the beauty of this first step is to looking at the whole picture and identifying maybe it's speech therapy. I think you've mentioned that sometimes kids yes. needed speech therapy or, or sleep therapy that really is the big roadblock for them to, to function uh, more normally in, in their context. And uh, I would say probably most psychologists in the community would be willing to do what we call a first step. You just ask for a clinical consultation about my kid. And when, when does uh, this first step lead to an actual cool psychological assessment? I would say probably 10 to 15% of the time. Yeah. Um, and, but the advantage of the first step is it will be a more focused assessment because when we make the referral, we're going to say, this is what we don't understand about this kid based on their history and um, based on what's going on with, with them right now. We look really carefully at, for a developmental trajectory. So one of the questions I ask in the first step is I take the history and I get up to the kids now three or four years old and I said, what is it? What was your child's first exposure outside the home on a daily basis? And I'll hear daycare or uh, pre-K or kinder or whatever. When I say, if they say pre-K and the moms will always have an immediate answer to this. I say, how, what did the adults at pre-K tell you about your kid? And so maybe I'm seeing a, a kid in fourth grade who's having some terrible social emotional problems and when the parent says well they loved him he was great okay something happened something changed now we got to find out where that was figure out something about what it was and if we still have questions and we we ask what assessment tools will help us answer that question so we're looking for that trajectory yeah. and changes in it and yeah. and that first exposure on a daily basis is is a big um, uh, 
guide for us and also transition from third to fourth grade seems to be pretty important where mm -hmm. kids transition from learning to read to now reading in order to learn yeah 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 there are so many changes and and i think that that's really we, we cannot just look at okay that this kid has a diagnosis we look, we're going to look at the big picture the yeah. diagnosis is just saying don't go that way go more this way right now, and, and someone was asking about, uh, they understand that Clarity specialized in self-harm and suicidal children uh, and whether, and, and are all mental health issues accepted for consultation? And that's, I'll let you answer that, but that's a pretty. Yeah, anything that's causing, that's interfering. Um, and we don't, we schedule the first steps uh, consultations. We don't schedule them more than seven days out. So, um, you know, your kid could probably be seen within 10 days or so. Yeah, I think that's also some of the questions we had from, from parents, like, you know, the uh, access to this this level of care and outpatient care, right, uh, and assessment. So we, it's a lot. We have we have openings for this first step process. People have to call the the main number. It's two one zero six one six zero three zero zero. You can also read more about first step on our website to, to explain the process. That's a way we can have every week offer some from, like we said, first step. Doesn't mean that we'll be able to to take all the patients in terms of long-term therapy because that's where there it, it can take more time to to get uh, you know availability. What we're really focused on is mental health literacy. We want the parent who comes in and says, "I'm not sure. I have no idea. I'm not sure. Um, people are telling me I should do this." We want them to leave comfortable that they have a better picture of what the options are for their kid, whether it's with us or someone else. Yeah, I have an interesting question. Someone uh, who is asking about availability of uh, consultations in person during COVID. So the, the, the child therapist isn't seeing patient in person and the child is very opposed uh, to computer-based meeting. Uh, so is it best to wait or, or to maybe um, find other options or solution? What would you be, what would your uh, suggestion be? This is about consultation? Yeah, or seeing, a, you know, just seeing a, a therapist really, not just. <clears throat> well, that's very kid specific. Uh, in terms of yeah. consultation, we're doing those in person. Okay. Um, it, there's just too much lost in translation for, um, for telehealth, yeah. we're doing some mix, maybe 50-50 in-person and um, telehealth, and it really depends on the kid. We have some kids with anxiety who actually do okay with telehealth. Yeah. And then we have some other kids that are just very difficult to reach. Uh, it's hard for them to focus, that kind of thing. So we're trying to get those kids seen in person. And what would you say to the parent if, if the child really doesn't want to do telehealth, uh, but needs therapy, uh, and the, the therapist doesn't offer that right now. I mean, is it best to change therapist or wait till the? Well, I, I think it really you've got to use your therapist then as a consult, as yeah. a consultation, and um, if you should be able to have a conversation with the therapist about about this is not working. If, yeah. If there's not a satisfactory kind of conversation about that that may say something about the fit yeah 
Uh, and I saw a question uh, from a, a parent asking if Medicaid was accepted. Yes, uh, Clarity takes Medicaid. I would uh, say probably 80% of the people we see have Medicaid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. Now let's go back to very briefly about the, the screening tools we discussed earlier. Uh, there are online tools uh, we have on our article. We've suggested some. Where, when can they be useful and, and what would you be your recommendation about using them? Well, um, I'm a little on the fence about just a blanket statement about them because there's so many different kinds. Um, you know, it helps if they're standardized some way. In other words, if a score is compared to a larger group as opposed to just high score, maybe that means bad. Um, yeah. But I think it's really um, parents are going to tend to err on the side of not doing enough soon enough. That's just how we are. We don't want to stigmatize our kid. And right. don't want to get them a label. And I totally get that. Um, but at the same time, if you're concerned enough that you're doing screenings at, at home, um, then if you get something in a screening, I would say, okay, so you think there's something going on and the screening thinks there's something going on. Maybe you get a consultation, even if it's just a one-time uh, consultation. So you go from being a confused one to being a more uh, mental, mentally, what's the word, mental health literate, um, you know, parent. Yeah, yeah. No, that's. I think we uh, really want to encourage people to to follow their their intuition on that and 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 get help, look for information. So uh, we're coming to the end of our time. Thank you so much, Dr. Gentry. This was very informative. I, I hope and thank you for everyone here to join us. Have a good rest of the week. Thanks for joining us. Please visit our website, claritycgc.org, for more children's mental health tips, tricks, and resources. See you next time.